Today, I have Doug Scavese on human becomings. Doug is grateful for what life has taught him, along with the many lessons he has learned throughout his career. One of the first jobs he ever had was as a lot attendant at the Home Depot. He started loading cars and scrubbing toilets. Eventually, he worked his way up to becoming a department manager in a matter of two years. This experience taught him how a combination of hard work, care for others, and a desire to be successful can propel someone to its achieving success. Aside from his own love for personal evolution, he has a passion for helping others learn and grow. This is evident in his career path, which includes positions in leadership, corporate learning and development, and practicing clinical marriage and family therapy. He currently works for Powerful You, a personal evolution company with the following mission statement. We are seekers who find the state of humanity inadequate. We believe the unrealized potential of the individual is both the source and solution to this problem. Our goal is to inspire fellow seekers to tap into their unlimited potential through a personalized combination of philosophy, science, technology, and community. Doug has learned we are limited only by the self-imposed barriers in our minds and our relationship with fear. He truly believes fear is there to help keep us safe, but safety is in a place where we grow. So let's take a listen to what he has got to share. Welcome to another episode of Human Becoming. Today, I have a really brilliant human with me, and I met him last year, right? Uh, I contacted him via a form because I wanted to share my story, and somehow we became connected, and to me, he's a friend to me, so I decided to bring a friend along on this episode, and he is none other than Doug Scubizzi. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. Well done. That's not an easy last name to say, so <laughs> nice job. I practiced. <laughs> I practiced so many times. So. <laughs> I, I, I hope, I hope, um, I hope, you know, you know that I've had it mispronounced so many times, I don't even, it, 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 you know, it's the effort. It's the thought that counts. And I just want to touch on something really quickly. It's the name, right? Because our names are very true to us. And the least effort it takes to really value someone is by calling and addressing someone by their name and getting the name correctly. Even if we get it wrong the first time, to correct mm -hmm. and address them in a very correct manner because that humanizes them so that's why i practice i practice names <laughs> i am i'm with you on that i love that i think i think that's one of the things we need to do more of in this world is actually really humanize people more so. right right yeah i'm here so doug you are the chief inspiration officer of heartful you and that's the reason why i brought you on today not only because you're brilliant and you're hot because i always focus on hardship uh i don't call it leadership anymore i call it hardship because i'm disrupting the whole schematic of leadership 
yeah. Because you have a beautiful heart, a beautiful mind, and what you're doing as well. So tell me a little bit about your role as a chief inspiration officer. So there's a, there's a funny so the backstory behind that um, that was actually a name that was given to me uh, when we first started the company Powerful You. This was oh wow so this was like last I want to say March we had a day where we thought you know let's give every you know in kind of in that spirit of you know disrupting what leadership is and what that looks like you know we went around with each other and we said okay what would be some great titles because I, I find that sometimes in the world people really define themselves by a title or they define themselves by how many letters or acronyms come after their name. And it shouldn't be about that um, because I, I truly believe everyone has the same value in this world, whether, you know, it's, it's the junkie that's living behind a dumpster or someone that's a, you know, very accomplished, you know, uh, pianist or whoever that person is, their value is the same. And so we did this exercise and we said, let's come up with titles for each other. And so we came up with some really funny titles and um, someone said that for me and we all just started laughing and I'm like, oh my gosh. And it just kind of stuck and it just made me laugh. But in terms of my role here, well, when you have a startup company, um, you wear many hats. Everyone has, has you know, so we, we joke about that still now too is because our roles are so fluid around here and they're ever developing and changing. I mean, um, I went from, you know, initially being someone that was doing, you know, coaching or because I have a background in therapy. And, and so we're looking at, you know, some of the elements of that, that we can incorporate into, you know, like, let's look at a coaching element, that kind of thing. And then when we had our first event last November at the Salt Palace, they asked me to MC the event. So I co emceed it with another person that I used to do corporate training with. So I went from that to the LA event where I was literally just running around trying to put on, put out fires with a, you know, earpiece in and, and so, I mean, it's, you're doing everything from like, you know, moving equipment to setting up a studio to, so it's hard for me to say a defined role, but one of the things I do tend to find that happens around here is when people need to kind of vent or they have something that they're dealing with or a struggle, they'll, they'll find, I find that they're sitting here in my office. Naturally, they'll just come in, they'll want to talk initially, and all of a sudden it turns into, here's what's going on, that kind of thing. And we have some amazing conversations and, um, I really put so much value in that. I feel like that's such a sacred space that when someone's sitting there and they want to sit down and open their heart to you and they're just, you know, there's, there's a lot of trust that's involved there. And I, I don't take that lightly. And I just, I very much appreciate that opportunity. I'm very honored and humbled when I have that opportunity. So that is one of the, the situations I find myself in. But, you know, right now, I mean, you know, the powerful stories, that was something that we wanted to, you know, to talk about and to share. So I started heading that up and that's how you and I met, you know, you submitted your story. And so I love it. I love that there's so many ways I can shift and change gears around here. Right now, I'm actually um, working with, uh, with the social media. So I'm writing a lot of the content that's being posted on our social media platform. Um, I'm writing those scripts or the, the captions with that and the, the images. So I'm doing that. I never thought I would be doing social media. I mean, I still have challenges with social media. I'm not an expert at by any means, but I mean, you have to step in and, and help out and do what you can. So it's great because it stretches you, right? Because anytime we do something, we step out of our comfort zone, you know, we're going to grow and you know, you have to be willing to do that. Right. I love it. Oh my God. I, I love every single word that you shared with a heart, right? And I, I so agree with you, Doug, is uh, when you were speaking, right, everything that you were saying is being able to shift gears, right? Being 
uncomfortable, being comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I just had this conversation yesterday with a neuroscientist. And like I say, it stretches you. And I want to bring visibility or, or, or like, let's reiterate this point. You said that you wear many different hats and you know, you jump in and help wherever you can. And you also mentioned about, it's not about titles because we all have the same value. And that's such an important point that we are all missing in this world, right? Our landscape has become such a landmine of, of fear of hatred, right? Mm -hmm. and, and instability and especially in this political climate is like, even sometimes I'm afraid if I'm going to get shot, mm. right? And, and and you're missing the whole point of we are all equal without titles, without our political beliefs and everything, right? And that itself is inspiration. Your words itself is, a, is an inspiration. You wear many hats and you value different people. And being in a startup, having that title as well you know a lot of people think oh i'm a i'm a ceo i'm this i'm that do not speak to me my time is valuable but what yeah. you just shared is absolutely hardship doug thank and you. i absolutely love it so, i appreciate that thank you oh you're welcome and i genuinely mean it i'm not just saying it for the podcast. oh i know you, i know you do i know you know that you're you're a very genuine person <laughs> and i love your story doug because i know you, um, you gave me your bio and ducks for everyone listening at their duck story is very human i call it very human because duck started off um in home depot right <laughs> as as a lot attendant one of my first jobs yeah <laughs> yeah and, and i mean it's a job a job does not define you right and yep. that itself is inspiration right uh you started off as a, a a lot attended in Home Depot and then you moved up, right? You worked and you worked your way. It's not about the ego, right? And for many people, it's about the ego. And I feel like ego is directly correlated with insecurities. Let's talk about the ego for a little bit. Sure. From your point of view, what is ego and how can we shift that egocentric perspective to become more humble-centric. Right, well, I love that, humble-centric versus egocentric. You know, I, th I think ego tends to get kind of a bad rap. You know, when I, when I was in school, you know, when you look from like a, the psychoanalytic Freudian perspective, you know, ego was actually that person in the middle who we were, and then you'd have the id on one shoulder, which was represented by like a devil with a pitchfork, and you'd have the superego on the other shoulder, which is like the angel. And so ego is kind of the person in between. And I think as things have shifted, you know, ego kind of, it, it has gotten a, a bad rap in terms of like, don't be an ego or you're, don't be egotistical, that kind of thing. And, you know, I, the more I think about, you know, ego, I, I, I think about it in terms of like fear and our relationship with fear too, is I think ego wants to try and keep us, ego loves validation and wants to be loud and be heard and be right and all of those things. And I think we all have that need within us. But I think just like with fear, um, instead of like fighting fear or pushing fear away or saying, you know, this fear is bad or whatever, you know, it's, it's there to keep us alive and ego kept us alive for many centuries. 
And so they serve purposes, but I think in the nature of our relationship with them, I think is what we need to consider and look at. And so for me, I look at it as more of kind of a relationship of like, okay, these guys are like my counselors or people here to kind of help kind of guide me, but they don't have total control over what I do. Because if I let ego or if I let fear run my life, then I live a very different life than if I just kind of, okay, I hear what you're saying. Okay, I understand you're saying don't go down this hill. And I know that you're here because you love me and you care about you want to keep me safe. Okay, I know you're over here saying, hey, you're so much better than this person. You're so much smarter than this person. Why are you wasting time? And I hear what you're saying there. But that to me is like, you're, you're kind of giving me all this feedback, but you're coming from your perspective, right? And one of my favorite quotes that I have ever heard is from Anais Nin. Uh, I believe she was an artist. And her quote was, we don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. And I really think that that's, that's really something that always hits home with me is, I see a situation based on where I'm at, you see a situation based on where you're at, and it's not about anyone being right or wrong or anything like that, it's, it's about respecting and honoring the journey of where we are. And so from an ego standpoint, I know when I get into that space of ego, I know that there's certain emotions and feelings that I have associated with that, um, but I also appreciate it too, because it just, it helps me realize, okay, I'm slipping over into this space and I don't really want to be in that space, but what can I learn from it? And I think there's something about emotional, like loving emotional, like a detachment and to be able to kind of sit back and observe yourself and say, okay, that's interesting. I just kind of felt, Ooh, I felt a little insulted right now, or I felt this kind of hurt right now. What is that all about? And exploring that, I think we owe it to ourselves to explore that and really understand it rather than I think society so much right now, it seems like it's very reactive and we're not really proactive. And I think if we spend a lot of time contemplating things and thinking about things and having that, you know, that loving objectivity and that distance and sit and look at it and say, okay, that's interesting that that happened. You know, when he said that I felt this way or this came up for me, I should look at that. And I think that a lot of times people want to uh, move away from things that are painful and I don't think that that's conducive to growth because I think pain is required on our journey. The suffering element of things is something that we choose into. So we always have a choice to say, okay, am I going to, yeah, that was really painful. But what am I going to do with that? Am I going to sit back and I'm going to learn or how am I going to grow? And um, I've really had to learn a lot of tough lessons in my life. And one of the lessons I've learned is about having expectation because I think ego gets kind of affected by expectation too, because when I have an expectation of how I want someone to show up for me or how I expect a situation to go or I'm throwing a party or I have people over and I expect all these things to happen and they don't happen, I find myself not being happy. But when I let go of that, and one of the things I always say to myself is this situation, I know two things are going to happen for sure. I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow as a result of this experience. And that's all I have with expectation is how can I learn? How will I grow? And whether it's good feedback, negative feedback, um, whatever it is, it's all feedback. It's all stuff that comes in. It gives me an opportunity to choose. What do I take from this? And so you have to be willing to really have people be honest and truthful with you. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, Mila, I've never grown from situations where people kind of build me up and send positive things my way. I grow in the situations where I struggle, where I'm like in the shit and I'm just like struggling and I'm, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm, you know, all these emotions coming up. But when I sit back and I have some perspective, that's really where I learn from that. So I, I, I value what I can learn from ego and I value what I can learn from fear um, from those things. But I, I, think it's, I, I think it's not really realistic to, like, to say I can completely swear them off and let go because I think they're both part of the human experience. 
I love what you just shared, Doug. I love that you shared that it has got to come from a stance of love and expectation. And that's such an imperative uh, narrative that we're forgetting, right? Uh, you, you shared very valuable points as to the expectations. We have this, we create this theater, right? Everything is a form of a theater in our minds and, mm -hmm. and you hit it right on the head. We have expectations. I will say, I, I will earn up to it. Like sometimes I have expectations of how my husband should be, right? <laughs> it's like, and when I let go of those expectations, like things become much better. Because I always expect like, oh, date night should be this way. Date night, you know, we should go here. But from his sense of point, date night can be at home. We can eat popcorn or we can watch documentaries you know yes we are boring couple we watch documentaries but <laughs> that's not that's not no that's yeah you too it's fine <laughs> so i i love what you said about expectations and and it, it applies to every plane right every plane is like at work at, at schools uh mm. at home and any communities of practice even in our country um false expectations leads to false results and instability and that's just i feel like that's just a volatile chemical reaction waiting to explode right right it is, it is. you're 100 percent right i mean i man i i think of all the times i mean the example you give with uh you know your significant other of like what happens there i mean same thing with with my wife when i place my expectations on her oh this is the other thing I, I, i've learned is um when I don't um, speak up and voice an expectation or voice kind of what I was expecting to happen, or I don't set a boundary with someone and that person crosses a boundary that I've never vocalized or I've never shared. And then I hold resentment to that person for doing that. That is not fair at all to them. And I think so much of what I see uh, in our world that we struggle with is vocalizing, you know, communicating, like we don't really fully communicate. And so a lot of times we operate on an assumption they can, they know what I'm thinking, or they should know we've been together this long, they should know that kind of thing. And then we hold them accountable for that. And it's like, that's, it's not fair to do that. So I think we have to really step back and check ourselves and say, okay, is my expectation realistic? You know, what is it that they're wanting that kind of thing? And then, you know, in relationships, communication, you know, it develops trust and, you know, it's, it, it's, it's all so connected. Um, let me, I'm going to share with you a story. Um, so um, I had a feeling that maybe I'm like, okay, you know, I was talking with my wife yesterday. I'm like, oh, I wonder if Mila is, you know, she's, she mentioned inspiration. I wonder she's going to ask about like what I think of inspiration. And um, so my wife and I got in a conversation about it. And I really think that, uh, and sorry, I don't know if you're going to ask that question, but I figured it might come up. But uh, I think inspiration is so unique to each person. Like there's different things that, it, that, you know, inspire everyone differently. And I also think that in different phases and stages of your life, there's different things that will inspire you. And so um, I used to be very much about like seeing people do amazing things, hearing stories, um, you know, quotes, things like that, that really kind of inspired me to like, oh my gosh, I, I need to go out and I need to do this. I want to be better. Um, the birth of my children was inspiring, you know, seeing that, like, I want to be the best father that I can be. I want to be in, in good physical health for my kids because I want to play with my kids and enjoy my kids and be active and involved in their lives. Um, and then um, one of the things that kind of I noticed recently it started shifting is my wife, she's a yoga instructor. And so like when I would take her class, I started taking her class because 
my back was hurting me so bad. And because I, a lot of times I'm sitting, right? And so, um, but she does a, you know, majority of yoga classes I've taken have a final Shavasana where you're laying, you know, prone on the floor and you're integrating everything you've learned. And they call it corpse pose. And, and one of the things I love about one of, in her class she does is, is you go from corpse pose where you're integrating everything. It's a yoga nidra type situation where you're just integrating, checking in with your body, your thoughts. And then at the end, um, and then she, she cues everyone to roll to their side with their legs curled in like a fetal position to symbolize birth, rebirth. So that when you sit up at the end of the class, now you have this different view and perspective and you've been able to let go of whatever that's died off and gone away. But what I noticed was, as I was doing the Shavasana or meditating or just being quiet with my thoughts, um, I would get inspiration. I mean, I would get these like downloads of thoughts and things that would come to my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to write that down. And oh, wow, this, this makes perfect sense. And, you know, and it, it would happen there, but then it would also happen when I'm, you know, doing landscape work in my yard and I'm digging a hole and just moving rocks and stuff that doesn't really acquire a lot of brain power. But I noticed that just that act of moving was inspiring in, in pulling something up in me. So, uh, it was, it was just interesting just having that conversation with her because, you know, when we think about like what inspires us, I mean, if you asked me that question 10 years ago, it would be a far different answer than you're going to get 30 years from now. So. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And I, I second and I echo whatever that you're saying. Um, inspiration is not a singular concept. Uh, I feel that a lot of us have been conditioned in such a way that we feel like let's watch the telly and let's listen to what Oprah says. I mean, I love Oprah. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> let's hear what Oprah says. Oh, is she giving us a call? You know, and then we latch on to that singular concept and that's the danger of singularity, right? Um, and I love and I agree with you in how we are absolutely evolving. And I, I, I call it becoming. We are constantly becoming and even the foods, right? It's like, I used to love to eat cake, Doug. Like now, I don't like cake. <laughs> That's so funny you mentioned that. Yeah, we were talking about that too, because the evolving, because it's like, I, I did, I gave her an analogy. I said, you know, maybe it's like taste buds, you know, like, like what inspires me now, and you know, like food, because I noticed that, because I used to, I used to not like the, the taste of coffee. And now I'm noticing now in my life where I, it, that's shifting, but I love that analogy. That's so funny you say that because that's exactly where we're like, it is kind of like our taste buds, how it evolves and what we like and don't like, you know, evolves and changes. Right. No, no, our cells, right? Different parts of our body. Uh, I was doing this research because I was writing an article for uh, Harvard Business Review because I want to get this article out. But I was doing this research as to our cells, certain parts of our cells replace every five to seven years. Yeah. Uh, our intestines, um, I think it's a certain type of bacteria, I can't recall this, but it replaces it within five days. Everything is changing within our body. Our hair, our nails, oh my God, my nails grow within a week, right? Everything is moving. Everything has got a catalyst yeah. that pushes us to think differently or, or spit out the food differently. You know, like, <laughs> like your food or don't like your food. You're and, right, yes. And we become allergic to different things. Like, like some people love to drink milk and like to me, it gives me the shits. But that's how, you know, <laughs> it, that's how it is. Like I never used to react that way. 
but yeah. they're right you change and and inspiration is in singular and you mentioned something in our conversation earlier that um you have to be in the anger right and you mentioned about the ego you have to be in the anger you have to be in the the shittiest moment to find that positive that inspiration to grow and i agree with you um, and i shared with you last year about my story and it took me months i it took me months to to really embrace why i was angry because i was trying to be like let's shut it down let's shut it down let's shut it down Mm-hmm. And until I realized I had to be angry, I had to be sad, I had to undergo all that phases of anger, um, you know, depression, crying, and I cry. I wouldn't say for no reason, there were reasons, and then reflection and healing, and those are all healing processes, and that made me to be the person who I am, and the person who I am now is actually the real Mila, which I shout you, I lost her. Um, and I got her back and that is so true when you said just now every single thing that we go through in our life is a catalyst that inspires us that evolves and I absolutely love that analogy that you shattered at. yeah and I think it's true I think that we're always we're, we're constantly presented with choice and I heard a quote somewhere and I, I, I kind of joke you know with people the first time I heard it but I'm like no there is actually truth to that you know where it's uh, life is a series of choices and um, I think that I think that there is truth to that because it's like we always have the ability in any situation. If you've ever read *A Man's Search for Meaning* by Viktor Frankl, um, amazing story. I would highly recommend it. He was a he was a concentration camp survivor during the world. You know, he was actually in. I believe he was in. If I remember correctly, he was in Auschwitz, um, which was one of the worst concentration. Camps. I mean, they're all horrible. But he um, talked about how you know us having like a, a deeper meaning and purpose. And the other thing he said is we always have choice, you know, that that's the last thing. It's, it's one thing that, you know, can never be taken from us is our choice to, to choose how we see our situation and how we look at it. And we're presented with these choices and we can either choose to uh, have them hold us back and stay stuck, or we can use that as an opportunity to propel us and move us forward. And, you know, it, it's, you know, all the things you, you alluded to, like the world and where we're at right now, um, there are a lot of negative things that you can definitely see, but I tend to believe that there's always something positive that comes out of something negative, even the most horrific situation, something positive will come out of that. And using the term catalyst, that very negative event could be that catalyst that shifts and changes things just like in our own lives, that traumatic event or that thing, you know, that happens. And I remember what you had shared with me as well. I mean, from you know, your childhood and, and, you know, again, a lot of those events, you know, that happen in our childhood and the way that we perceive those and see those, you know, I, I love the idea of just, you know, in my mind, going back to myself, that younger version of Doug and just put my arm around him and saying, Hey, you know what, this is really hard right now. It's a horrible situation, but you're going to get through this. And this is actually going to be something that's going to help you. And as a result, you're going to be able to help other people as a result of this situation. And just know that this situation is not you. It's an opportunity for you to learn, but it had nothing to do with your value or anything like that. And just sitting there with my arm around my younger self, just saying that. And I think that there's a lot of value in that, you know, and in, in, in understanding, looking at, look at these things that can be catalysts for better, bigger things. I love what you said that it does not define your value. And, and that's such a great point. And it's a relevant point that we need to, to 
start speaking about, right? Because a lot of people think that if they receive a bad performance review or if they are bullied in school or if, if let's say if I'm my 10-year-old self, right? And someone comes in and says, oh, Mila, you're such a fatty. And you're so fat, stop eating, you're so stupid. It is, I feel like it's a projection. It took me many years. <laughs> it took me many, many years to actually right. learn this that is a projection of other people's experiences, opinions, insecurities. Probably it has happened to them. So their way of combating their own, or, or cultivating their own confidences by imposing those negative, venomous words into someone else. Yes. And it took me a long time to understand that. Um, even in my adulthood, I, it took me until last year to really learn that. And I'm not ashamed to say that. Yes, I'm, I'm 40 years old. And it took me that long to really realize that someone else's insecurities imposed onto us does not define our value. Just like you mentioned, Doug, like a title does not define your value, right? It's yeah. maybe we need to shift that narrative. Um, I love we, that. You know, and I, and Mila, I have to say, you know, age, age to me, is like, it's a number and whether you learn a lesson at six or 96, the fact that you learn the lesson is that that's where there's value in that, right? That you actually have that realization and learn that lesson because yeah, I've, I've had things that I've just recently learned where I thought, oh my gosh, it's taken me this long to learn it. I have things I'm still trying to learn and still trying to figure out. And, you know, one of which I could say is, I mean, as a parent, you know, you realize now as a parent, you know, how much your parents were actually trying to figure things out for themselves too. The other thing I'm really keenly aware of now that I wasn't for so long in my life was what, what your parents and these influencers tell you in your life are a projection of their own fears, their own things that they've learned, but their life is not your life. And what happened to them is not your journey. And so one of the things I try to, you know, and I, as a teenager, I'm sure she can definitely appreciate this, but I tell my daughter is, you know, just because I'm telling you this doesn't mean that it's necessarily that it's right, but it's in my heart, here's what I feel is right. And absolutely, just because I'm your dad doesn't mean that I'm always right. Doesn't mean that I know all the truth. I'm still learning and figuring this out too, but she's very wise and mature beyond her years. She's 15. And so, you know, I, I know that she appreciates when I speak to her that way in terms of like, hey, we're we're going to speak with each other and understand each other versus being very authoritative and kind of looking down at her and you will do this because I said so or whatever. I mean, there's definitely things where she knows I'm coming from this space because I want to keep you safe, but we also give her a lot of uh, leash and leeway and, and, and still a lot of trust in her and say, Hey, listen, you know, we trust you, but you also have to understand the way life works is you get as much trust and freedom as you can handle. And, you know, our job is to here help prepare you better for the world when you go out on your own. But, you know, just because I'm your dad or just because, you know, this has been my experience doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be yours. But I'm going to share this with you knowing that your experience could be different than mine. And I think we have to be aware of that. We have to, you know, make sure that because what you the, the term you said earlier about projecting. Oh, my gosh, I see that so much more. And I catch myself. And that's one of the things I talk about where I still struggle, you know, here, it's like, man, I should have this figured out. I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'll be 46 in October. <laughs> and, and same thing. I, I catch myself and I'm like, 
damn it, you would think that I would know this by now, all right? Or I know this lesson, I thought I learned this, but I hadn't, but you know, the, so much of the projections, just like you talk about, you know, like with, you know, whether it was like the bully in school or someone calling you a bad name, so much of it was about them projecting onto you that they're a horrible thing. And you had no idea. You never know what another person's dealing with. And that person that was saying those mean things to you could be going home to abusive parents. They could be going home to an alcoholic parent. They could be going home to no parents at all. Uh, you never know what another person's dealing with. And I think keeping that in the back of my mind that when someone comes at me, whether it's in traffic or, you know, at a, at a store or whatever with this negative energy and they're upset, you know, you just have to say, you know, I wish them well on their journey. That's their journey. It's not mine. And I don't need to take that on to myself. Right. Yeah. I, no, I agree with it. It's, it's very beautifully put, Doug. And you mentioned uh, something just now about, you know, um, what my experience is into your experience and you also mentioned about you know uh, you mentioned that you'll be turning 46 and you know this and you should have this figured out right and my parents used to tell me this it's but it, it was in terms of traveling and he and he and they shut that but it applies to everywhere in your life right everything happens in three or more times and and you have to experience it three or more times in order to really click it. So my, 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 my parents used to tell us that travel at different stages in your life or try the same thing at different stages in your life. So I'm gonna talk about traveling for a little bit. My dad used to say, go to different countries, go to different states, go to different places um, at different stages. So if you travel when you are in your teens, travel to the same place. Let's say if you're going to Ireland, go there 15 years old, go there again a decade later in your 20s, go there again to the same place a decade later in your 30s. But if you're traveling later, like 20, you know, it just increases in increment of decade. Right. And, and then he shared, the reason why you should always constantly approach the same place or the same concept at different decades of your life is because not only your perspective changes, your personality changes, your character changes, your thought process changes, your acceptance level changes, your rejection level changes, your tolerance changes. At the same time, the country's culture evolves, the country's people evolve, the familiar becomes the unfamiliar. I think that's so relevant even in in the way we do things, right? Like you share, I should have this figured out. And I've, I've known this, but we are really attempting it again in a different right. setting, in a different environment with a different perspective. So I think that we often forget that, that you know, it's, even though it's familiar, it becomes unfamiliar because it's a new environment. It presents itself in a new situation. And I love that. That is, that is very profound. So that was your father that told you that? Yes. I, I love that because it's so true. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to go back and visit like the house or the neighborhood where you grew up and go back to home and see that. But that, because that, that's what I was thinking as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about that. And I just, I remember in my neighborhood where I grew up, my friend and I, um, he lived uh, down one street, I lived down another and there was a corner and so at the end of the night, like we would hang out or whatever, when we had to go home, we'd walk each other to that corner 
and then we'd head home. And I remember we would both just sprint home because it was dark and it was scary and it felt like it was miles and miles <laughs> and miles. And, and I remember that. And so I drove through that neighborhood uh, recently. And as I went to the neighborhood, I just thought, oh my gosh, that is literally just this very short distance. But when you're younger, when you're little, everything seems so big. And so coming back, you're right. You know, everything you know, changes, you know, your personality elements of you change and you see things differently. You'll notice different things. And I love that because the other thing I love too is about how you said that the, you know, the people, you know, in that society, they evolve because if we, so often we go visit somewhere and we take just a snapshot of, oh yeah, you know, uh, this, so the one that um, I think gets under my skin is, is when I hear people say, oh, you know, you'll hear a lot of people, especially in America, and I don't mean to make generalizations, but I do hear this a lot, um, have a certain opinion of people in France, in the French, and that, you know, and it's not only in America, I've heard other people from other countries say the same thing, but I've been to uh, Paris three times in my life. Um, one was a two-year span, and then the last time we went, uh, my daughter speaks fluent French, and so uh, she's learned French since she was in first grade, and so we were excited to take her, so we went, uh, not last year, but the year before, and um, we were so excited, so we took her, and she spoke and translated for us, and the French people were so just sweet and kind, and, you know, and, and the thing is, is uh, I'm not about generalizations with people, because even someone that, I learned this when I was in school about cultures, you know, you take someone, let's say they grow up in um, a, a tribal community in some, you know, a jungle in the world, even within that community, that person could be looking at their own community saying, you guys are all crazy. Like, I don't understand this. I don't want this anymore. I want to go, I want to go beyond this and see what's over on the other side of that cliff or why are we doing this? And they could be questioning that and, and, and they themselves, their, their culture and their experience is unique to themselves. But what we tend to do in the world is we like to compartmentalize. We like to put people and things in boxes and have them all nice and neatly tucked. And beliefs that we have about a culture, we go on a trip and we're like, oh yeah, I went to that place once, you know, I mean, I was, I was in that place for two days and here's my opinion of that place. And it's like, you saw such a small fragment and snapshot of that space. You know, you can't really form an opinion. All you can say is, well, here's what happened factually when I was there. But to say that that's how these people are, or this culture or this, this city or whatever, it's not really accurate or fair. So I think that's very wise and profound what your father told you. I, I love that to be able to go back decades later and just see that different experience. Yeah, it's, it's, at first I was like, oh, what are you talking about, dad? It's, you know, and, and then I started realizing um, that it was it because I went back last year. My mom was from Malaysia and I was born in Singapore and my dad was in the British military. So, it was really interesting and I, I didn't get to go back for my dad's funeral so I went back last year um, and, and he was so right right the familiar became unfamiliar I I just I just felt like an outsider in the country I was born and mm. I, I didn't have any uh, contact with my friends because everyone moved away everyone either moved back to England or Australia or different parts of the world to the US. And it, I felt like I was relearning everything, every single thing again, how to take the trains, right? Because it's, it's like, you, you knew how to take the trains, uh, right. but it's everything was different. And 
I started looking at the country from a very different perspective. Because when you are immersed, like you said, when you're immersed, even in your own neighborhood, right? Your neighbor's characteristic, the way that they behave, even though you have the same family uh, paradigm, right? Mom and dad and, and kids. You never know what your neighbor is going through. You never know with your culture. And you can't say, oh, yeah, we are in the same neighborhood, so we all share right. the same thing. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's, it was really interesting when I went back. It's like, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And yeah. it pushes you. It really pushes you. It really pushes you to really rethink how we, how we treat other people, how we look at other people, how we stereotype people. Yeah. And, and stereotypes are just based on, again, a single story. And that's the danger of singularity. So right. I love it. Well, and so, they're, they're also like, you know, people say, oh, there's truth in stereotypes. But I think that that truth is also your truth and what you see. I mean, you know, you, there's a term, you know, in psychology, confirmation bias, where basically if you believe everyone in your city is horrible drivers, you're actively going to look for situations where you see someone do something uh, and that just confirms, see what they did there? That just proves that what I said was right. You know, a friend and I were having the same conversation. It's like when you buy a new car, you start to notice more of your car on the road or the car you want, you'll start seeing more of that. And it's just interesting how it, you know, how that happens. <laughs> I, I love it because I was, talk I was speaking with one of my friends the other day and then we were talking about how when we focus, right, um, where our thoughts go, actions happen. So when you're driving, when you're driving and then the light, you look at the traffic light and then you say, do not turn red, do not turn red. And it turns red because <laughs> you are like channeling all your energy to the traffic light. I know it sounds cuckoo, but it happens. It happens. Yeah, 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 I do the same thing. I mean, you know, you do desperate things when you're trying to get through traffic. I get it. <laughs> <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit about influencing because we have spoken so much great stuff and the reoccurring factor which has been coming out is influence right and how is influence correlated with impact because i feel like when you have the ability to influence right it should create an impact and through inspiration how can we do that? Yeah, so, you know, you think about, um, well, when you think about influencers, you know, my first thought goes to is when you're a child and the people that are influencers in your life and they can have impact on your life. Now, they may not even want to have that impact. They may not even consider or think of themselves as an influencer or any of that. But the, the common factor in that, you know, the influencers in a person's life is that person. So how they impact, how they inspire, you know, whatever, whatever happens with that person, I think it really, again, depends on the person because, you know, I, uh, it's, I'm trying to think of the effect of what this would be like, but it's, it's kind of like with my kids. I could, I could talk to their friends and I could really have a positive impact on their friends and share something with them and they're more willing to listen to me than their own parents. Conversely, my kids would be less willing to listen to me and more willing to listen to someone else's parents. So those parents can have an impact on them and inspire them. But you know, the common factor is that, that person, where are they at? Do, are they dismissive of this person? Because I have history with you and I, the way I see you, I don't, I don't align with this or you know, 
you said this comment a long time ago, so now I just disregard what you say. Um, so I think it all kind of ties back into what we were initially talking about with inspiration is it depends on the person and where they're at and the level of impact that an influencer can have on someone, whether it's good or bad, you know, whether they have influence on them or not, really depends on that person where that person's at in their life. Because um, I'll give you an example. Uh, my wife has been reading um, Eckhart Tolle's book, uh, New Earth. And so we started, that was a very transformative book for us when it came out. And actually, you know, funny enough, you uh, mentioned earlier Oprah, that's where we kind of got exposed to him because he did a whole, I believe it was a soul series. This is like back in like the early, two, it was like 2000, I want to say like 2006, 2007, somewhere around there. Um, anyway, so he, he had an impact on us. You know, he's an influencer just in terms of his view of the present moment and letting it go and our pain body and a lot of these different things that were coming up um, at that time she was going through uh, cancer treatment. She had, she had uh, had a stage four uh, melanoma removed from her leg. And so she had to go in, have surgery to remove some lymph nodes. They actually had to do some light chemo treatment on her. And as a couple, you know, we had, we had our kids at the time too. We had both of our kids. It really causes you to kind of really kind of change and reevaluate how you see each other, how you see your situation. Uh, when we saw and we read his book and just talking about being in the present moment, that was what we needed to hear at that moment. Because uh, when you're in a situation like that, you're always, your mind can, you can get very anxious and you can kind of get into a future thinking of like, oh my gosh, what does this mean in the future? What's this going to look like? That kind of thing. But having that clear uh, view and just appreciating the present moment and just saying, you know what, let's just focus on what we can do right now. It's in front of us because I, I found that people that are in difficult situations, just living, they live in that moment. You can't really like force, you know, or try to think about tomorrow. You're just trying to maintain where you're at at that time, right? So, you know, let's fast forward now to now. Um, you know, we we set that book down. We appreciate the lessons we learned. She has gone back and she's been reading his book and actually uh, bringing passages from his book into her yoga class that she does each week. And she was just telling me this the other day. She's like, I'm finding so much comfort in what he's saying and his words. And it's, it's affecting me similar to the effect you and your father said of, you know, here she visited here in 2006 and now it's 2019. She's visiting again and she's getting different messages, seeing different things. Her personality is different. How she sees things is total, you know, they're totally different. So in terms of impact, impact and influence, um, you know, on her, um, I think it's, I think it's impacting and influence her in a different way than it did at that time. And, and perhaps it also sounds like she's, there's some things that she had learned then that maybe she had forgotten over that span of a decade, roughly. And now she's revisiting the, those again. So I think again, you know, whether it's, you know, these influencers and the impact that they have on us and how they inspire us, I think it really depends on where we're at because you could have 10 people in the same room hear the same message from someone and everyone else, everyone in that room is going to feel differently based off of and according to where they're at. Some people are going to be like, Oh my gosh, this person is the most amazing person in the world. I love them. Um, I'll give you an example of someone that I really love is uh, Mel Robbins. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Yeah, I love her. Yeah. She's awesome. And the thing I love about her is that she's very relatable. She is, she's, she's, I mean, she posted a picture one time of herself. She had just woken up and her hair is all messy and she had like no makeup on. And, and I, my a wife, my wife and I went to a seminar of hers in Vegas um, 
earlier last year. And she's talking and she's just up there and she's like, listen, she's like, why are we making ourselves suffer? Because we want to have six pack abs or whatever. And she lifts up her shirt, shows her stomach to everyone. There's like 500 people in the room, shows her stomach to everyone. And I'm like, I looked at my wife and I'm like, wow. I'm like, when was the last time someone was on the stage and did that? And they weren't in good shape. They weren't showing off this amazing, you know, abdominal muscles. And she was just like, you know, you got to just own where you're at. And I just, I love that. And my point is, I love that element of someone when they can be real and be and own who they are and they're unapologetic about it. And they're just like, this is who I am and, and I'm okay. I'm not gonna make apologies or be, because I think in social media world, people are so worried about polishing and, and looking good and, and portraying a certain image and it's not genuine and it's not real. And so that's why I love when someone's genuine and real, I really relate to that. Now that's me. Not everyone is going to relate to Mel Robbins, right? So those 10 people in that room, that influencer is going to impact, impact each of them differently. So I hope that answers your question. So. I, I, I love it. And I agree with you, Doug. It's, it's we relate to someone who mirrors our heart, who is real. And I love real, genuine humans. Um, just like, you know, uh, like I said, it's it's like I, I don't relate with people who are like, oh, I'm wearing a suit, you know. Let's let's talk business. It's 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 like I feel like you're talking to a friend. People relate really well with people who trust. There's the trust element, right? And yeah. and no judgment element, because oftentimes we always see not always, but most of the time we see on the telly that people look really great. Or you know, like really lean and whatnot, or or you know, like really polished, where they speak really fast. Really, that's what people buy into. But I agree with you. It's like to be relatable, and not everyone will resonate what you're saying, even though you've got one million followers. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I was telling my wife the other day. Uh, you know, when I go to a party with people, for me. I would much rather go and find someone. We sit in a corner and have a wonderful conversation about deep, meaningful things. And I'm inspired and I'm like, oh my gosh. And they challenge something, you know, that I'm thinking about. And they're like, well, think about this or read this book or check this out. I would much rather do that than go around and meet a hundred different people. And we have very surface, superficial conversations of how are you? How's this? You know, blah, 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 blah. And it's, and it's not to me. And I'm not, I'm not trying to cast any shade on anyone else, but for me, that is very just like kind of like mind numbing and soul sucking for me to be very up here on the surface versus, you know, that deep, meaningful. Cause I really feel like every conversation you have with someone, you have an opportunity to impact each other. You have an opportunity to inspire and influence each other and to really hear each other is a very valuable thing, especially in this world, because I feel like so many people want to have a voice and they want to speak, but they're not really listening and people aren't really feeling like they're being heard and they're being understood. And, to me, I think that that's, that's something that I find, um, you know, very important for me. And so I don't know if that's where the, you know, when they said chief inspiration officer, I don't know if they, that that's where that came from. But I just, like I said, when people come in here and they want to talk, I think people want to be heard. They want to feel like they've been heard and they also want to be seen, right? It's like, okay, I see you now. And I think that if we can do more of that, just get people in a room that may politically have different views or religiously have different views, and they can just say, you know, I just want to see the humanity in this other person. Like what we talked about way at the beginning of this conversation is being able to see each other's humanity. The more that we can do that in this world, 
I think the faster we're going to evolve as a society because it's easy to dehumanize someone when they're an image on a screen or a thought or an idea versus like when you're sitting with that person, you really have to sit down and have a conversation with them. You realize, wow, we actually are a lot of like, you know, even though you don't like this and I like this or you support this and I don't, we have so many other areas where we relate and we shouldn't dismiss each other just because of this handful of things we don't agree on. No, I love it. And I agree with you, Doug. It's like we have become the society of, again, it's the Ebonar culture, right? We are always going on the go. And media has come, media is good. It's good and bad. Has created such a void where there's this vortex of, I want to only be associated with successful people. But again, success is so nuanced. Success is different from a five-year-old child. How he or she defines success is different from how a 90-year-old will define success, right? right? And, and, and so truly, like, I, I just I posted something today and it was a struggle video, right? <laughs> it's like, and, and, and being real and vulnerable, I, I posted, like, because I've been reaching out to people, like, real human beings that want to have dialogue, share the space, because right. the mission is to spread hardship and to disrupt leadership to become hardship. And two people mentioned, well, let me see if you are worthy of my time. And it kind of like, it impacted me so drastically and I felt, am I really not worthy, right? And the second person was like, what's your business model? Send me your business model and then I'll see if I want to partner with you. <laughs> and then I was thinking, uh, have we really deduced to such a lower stance where collaborations to really impact humanity and to to have a voice, to bring voice to the table, to speak about things that really matter to humanity? Right. Does it really require accolades like how many followers I have, what's my business model, um, if I have a blue tick on, on, on Instagram or LinkedIn? Right, it, it, it's as like followers you have, yeah, right. sure, absolutely. Like, what have we become as yeah. a society? And and I'm with you. I when I meet people, I I ask them, hey, do you want to do the mustache dance? Right, and I make them do the mustache dance. It's a silly dance I created, but there's a story behind it. And when we meet, I'll make you do it as well. Perfect. <laughs> Hopefully I have a mustache by then. So. Oh, no. You use your finger as a mustache. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> That's the whole point, right? And you mentioned we want to be heard. We want to be seen. We want to express our voice, right? People do not want to see the positive. Uh, only want to see the positive side. They do not want to see struggles. They only want to hear your struggles if you have already become successful. If you are like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, then they want to hear, oh, you struggled. Oh, that means it's great. Then they, they latch onto that as inspiration. Right. Right. And, and inspiration. I've seen that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Everyone wants to hear the success story and what they did. But like when someone's genuinely like struggling, I, I find that it can be hard for people to want to, to listen. But again, there's something so sacred and special in that moment. And, um, you know, just like what you said, you know, uh, you mentioned something earlier, made me think about, you know, when you said uh, media, you're talking about media and I'm like, you know, people have lots of opinions about it. And, and my feeling is, is, you know, you have to be willing to, um, 
step back and kind of be in an observer mode and not emotionally attached to the situation. And if you're going to look at media, you need to not only look at uh, American media, but you need to look at Al Jazeera. You need to look at BBC. You need to look at media from around the world to kind of get more of a world view of like, what are they saying? How are they saying this? And how are they, how, how do they perceive this or that situation? Because it's not about who's the best or who's right or anything like that. It's like, you know, we all have different views and, and opinions of the world. And it's like, you know, we need to be willing to sit back and listen. And, you know, my, my grandmother, and I, I don't know if you've heard the saying before, but it, I hear it from um, imparted wisdom that you get from uh, people that have been around a long time. But, you know, the, the, the belief that you have, you know, that most of the world is, you know, born with two ears and one mouth for a reason, and that we should, you know, listen more than we actually speak. And I think that that's, that's in a really important component because man, if you can just step into a situation and just sit and observe and listen, there's a lot of beauty in that. I, I agree with you, Dan. That, that's quite an inspiration, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, before we go, I want to, to get your, your thoughts and some of the actions that you are doing in your community to shift the paradigm of fear into empowerment and courage? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I see courage as the ability to move forward despite you're know, in the face of fear. So you still are taking steps, you're moving forward, you're scared as hell and you're afraid, but you're still moving forward. And to me, that is courageous. That is what I consider to be courage. Um, and to, as far as dis, to disrupt and, and look at you know, our relationship with fear, Everyone has their own opinion, you know, of fear, but, um, uh, what was the book? My, oh, my mind just went blank, but her name's Kristen Ulmer and she was an extreme skier. She actually, she's friends with a friend of ours and she used to do extreme skiing and she wrote a book. Oh, I feel bad. I forgot the title of it, but Kristen Ulmer and, and in her book, she talks about how the relationship with fear shouldn't be push away or fight or I'm going to, I'm going to punch fear in the mouth or something like that. It's, you know, fear is here to help guide you and thank you fear. Cause I know you love me and you care about me. And so the nature of the relationship we have with fear, cause I don't really see realistically how we can ever make fear go away and not have fear. Um, one of the great things I remember from, I don't know if you saw the uh, Batman movies, but the ones with uh, uh, Christian Bale, but there's a, in the, I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it, but there is a scene in it where he's basically, he's trying to climb out of this big well and he's in a prison. And the only way you can get out is you have to climb the walls and then they attach a rope to you and then you have to try and jump for this ledge. And if you can get to that ledge, you can climb up and get out. But they have a rope attached to you. So if you miss it, when you fall, you won't die. And um, the way he ends up getting out is the guy that's in the cell next to him said, take off the rope. He said, he's like, you are someone, you have no fear. And that for, therefore, since you don't fear death, you know, it's like, you're not as strong as you would be if you actually feared death. Because if you think about it, you know, someone that's very afraid, they're going to fight differently if they're fearful of death than someone that doesn't fear death. They're going to fight very differently. <clears throat> and so he said, take off the rope and fear will find you. And so he has to go all the way up there and he has the rope off. And if he misses this ledge, he dies. But he and he can't he can't get it with the rope. Every time he goes to jump with the rope, he's not jumping with enough force and energy as he would if he was completely deathly afraid. And that deathly uh, a fear that he has propels him. 
and it brings out some, that energy in him to be able to, you know, get him out of that situation. And I thought it was such an awesome metaphor. I just, I, I love that. And so I, I think that fear is not something we should, um, you know, fight or it's a negative thing. It's like, it served a purpose to help us out and we should be grateful for it. But at the same time, you know, where do we give, do we give our power to fear and do we use that as a reason or an excuse to hold us back? Or do we say, you know what, I am scared as hell to get up on this stage right now and to talk. My heart's pounding so much, but, uh, you know, I know I need to do this. And it, it's how do we shift our mindset? And one of the things Mel says about that is she's like, rather than saying, I'm so anxious, you shift that to, I'm so excited. Like my heart's pounding because I'm so excited about to experience this situation. So, um, you know, we need to reevaluate our, our relationship with fear. To me, the most horrible thing in this world, I think, for someone to experience is to be on their deathbed at the end of their life. They've lived this long life and then they have regret because they allowed fear to dictate the decisions that they made. And therefore, they didn't live as much of a, you know, their life wasn't as fulfilling. They have this element of, oh, shoulda, woulda, coulda. I wish I would have, but I was so scared. And it, the more we can push through that fear, I think we live a deeper, more meaningful quality. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yes, no, beautifully, Pete, beautifully, Pete. I absolutely loved exploring your heart today, Doug, and your mind. And mm -hmm. the biggest takeaways, you know, it was just impeccably put. And I, and I feel like... I am summing this up correctly. <laughs> it's like, I feel like every opportunity, every roadblock, every rejection, um, every every negative feedback or negative experience presents ourselves or presents itself with an opportunity. Even if it's if it's going to make a shit in our pants or pee in our pants or whatever, <laughs> we have to acknowledge it, regardless of whether it's fear, insecurities. Or anything that is um, and take small steps and like like that you know you are a living proof of inspiration you started at Home Depot you tried different things and title does not define you you're the chief inspiration officer now and people come to you right people come to you to speak to be heard to be seen and that itself is the biggest inspiration which is humanity with a hardship. And thank you for being a partnership in partner in, in hardship. And I truly appreciate you. Where can everyone find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. So my, you know, it's funny because I was talking to my wife, I have two different, uh, or actually multiple accounts. I, um, I've, uh, had my original uh, handle on, um, Instagram was Scavizzle, S-C-A-V-I-Z-Z-L-E. Um, the current one that I have right now is Doug.Powerful.TheLetterU, and that's the one that I'm currently on. Um, I also do want to mention that um, Powerful You, we actually have a movie that we've uh, released, and you can actually access that through our link in our bio at um, Instagram, and it's Powerful.You, or you can go to our website. The website is Powerful, then a dash, or a hyphen, and then the letter u.com. So powerful-u, the letter u.com. If you go in there, click at the, the on the header there, you'll see movie. You can actually purchase the movie through that link, or you can uh, view the trailer, check it out, and see if it's something you, know, you definitely want to do. But it's very reasonably priced. It's $14.99, and it's, a, it's an amazing movie. I think it will really help you shift and change the way you see the world. 
Um, James and Steph, the founders of our company, are releasing a book later this year as well. So there's a lot of really amazing positive things that are happening. And, you know, I'm inspired by, by them. And so I've been inspired. It's one of the things I've been working on um, is writing my own book. So I'm, I'm hoping to have that out at some point. But yeah, that's a, a little bit, you know, and I have to tell you, it was hard to write that bio. It's hard to like do a bio <laughs> by yourself and speak about yourself in third person because it's just, it's a hard thing for me to do. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Del, I have to say, um, I, I love real, real buyers that comes from the heart right no one really talks about you know i, I worked in in the lot of home depot no one talks about i scrubbed the bloody toilet and <laughs> then i worked myself up no one talks about i was making seven dollars an hour in the ice cream shop everyone talks about oh i have interned for amazon i have worked for google i have it's this it's a different side of ego because we need validation and yeah. And I love realness and you're, you've been very real from, from the beginning. And that's what I love about you. Thank you. Mila. I feel the same way about you. And by the way, I don't like milk either. I just drink like coconut milk. Or, yeah, yes. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a milk drinker. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love coconut milk as well. But no, thank you again for being a partner in Hotship and speaking with me and sharing this space of how we can shift that whole paradigm of and disrupt leadership into hardship, right? And I'll put all the links where people can find you. Thank yeah. you again for sharing the space with me. Thank you so much, Mila. You're so awesome and you're inspiring. I love your story. I love who you are. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing, girl. Like you are amazing. So. Oh yeah, amazing too. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of yourself, okay? Yeah, I will.